This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. On the show this week, how one apartment complex in Clayton County has filed more evictions against its tenants than any other landlord across Atlanta. Why tenants at the complex continued to get eviction notices even as the federal pandemic eviction moratorium took effect. And how even eviction attempts can impact tenants long after they move out. For more on this story, I'm joined by Yegana Torbati. She's a reporter at The Washington Post. Her recent story, written with her colleague Jonathan O'Connell, looks at the Brooks Crossing apartment just south of Atlanta. It's pretty large. It's uh, around 224 units, maybe a couple dozen sort of two-story buildings, each of them with, um, you know, four units or so apiece. What can you tell us about the tenants who live there? You know, it's a lot of, I'd say, working class folks, in part because it's sort of one of the um, more affordable places to live in the Atlanta area. And what led you to Brooks Crossing? So we were interested in covering eviction. And one idea that we had was to focus on one apartment building where maybe there had been more eviction filings than in other places. And Brooks Crossing really stood out in the number of evictions that they had pursued against um, their tenants, um, even during the pandemic. And so we decided to just take a closer look at kind of what was going on there. How exactly do you find out who is filing evictions and the numbers and all that stuff? You know, there's no real like um, national tracking of this, which is why it's kind of difficult to research eviction. And, you know, there are some really excellent academics and researchers looking at this issue, but it takes a lot of legwork. But when a landlord files for eviction, that is recorded through court cases. Folks at the um, Atlanta Regional Commission had been tracking data on um, eviction filings in the Atlanta area. So that was the data that we drew from in order to find, um, you know, the building that had done it the most often, which was Brooks Crossing. So um, what we found is that um, it was 427 eviction filings, and that equates to about 1.9 um, eviction notices per unit between April 2020 and December 2021. We're talking about a time span that's that, that begins around the pandemic and in, in, uh, the spring of 2020. So I thought that there was a moratorium on evictions. The CDC is ordering a halt on evictions nationwide for people who have lost work during the pandemic and don't have other good housing options. The goal of the new eviction ban is to stem the spread of the outbreak, which the agency in its order says presents a historic threat to public health. There was not really any sort of real enforcement mechanism for that moratorium. It didn't cover every landlord. It covered um, certain landlords that received um, certain types of federal um, assistance. But Brooks Crossing was one of those landlords because they did have tenants that were using federal aid um, to rent there. We found that they filed for eviction 99 times in the months that the CARES Act moratorium was in place, which was sort of late March through late July. And if you look at the data on other um, Atlanta landlords, um, that really stands out. Like those um, for those months, those landlords went to zero filings, and Brooks Crossing did not. Who actually owns Brooks Crossing? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, the ownership structure is a bit opaque. Um, what we can say is that Brooks Crossing is managed by a company called Ventron. Um, it's sort of a um, real estate uh, management company. They they manage several different apartment complexes in Georgia. The ownership, according to um, documents that have kind of come out um, in various uh, legal actions against Brooks Crossing, 
a small stake is owned by um, Ron Eisenberg, who is the founder and CEO of Ventron. Um, and then it looks like the majority of Brooks Crossing is traced to uh, a man named Alan Ossip, um, who um, lives in Canada and um, is sort of like a private equity investor. Ossip has said in a um, court affidavit that he doesn't have really anything to do with the day-to-day management of Brooks Crossing, but but that is kind of the ownership structure that we've been able to figure out through court documents. And what we found is that they managed three of the 10 Atlanta area properties where tenants experienced the most eviction filings during the pandemic. You know, we did speak to tenants who said that they felt that the management had been able to work with them in order to avoid filing for eviction as long as they kind of set up a payment plan. This is not necessarily some huge, massive corporation with uh, tens of thousands of employees. Um, it's a, it's I'd say like a mid-sized company, you know, where it would be pretty fairly easy for the executives to kind of know what's going on. We asked for interviews with the chief executive, um, but but that was not um, granted. And we put all these questions to them in terms of like their policies and sort of why they pursued these things. And uh, what all they could tell us was that they had tried to avoid evictions. For a, a landlord to start eviction proceedings against a tenant. What does that mean in practical terms? There's not really a strict time limit for when a landlord um, has to warn a tenant that they're late and maybe, um, you know, maybe evicted. Oftentimes that can just be a period of a couple days. The rent is due on the first. And if it's not paid by the end of the third, uh, sometime around the fourth or the fifth, tenants receive their first late notice. And uh, at least according to the late notices that I saw, which a couple tenants shared with me, they then have around um, eight or nine days before the complex will file for eviction, at least according to that notice. And already when they first get that notice, they have accrued a late fee of around $100. And then if the building moves forward with filing for eviction, that usually accrues um, more late fees or more more fees, I should say, one called a um, court fee, one called a collection administration fee, And so overall, you know, we're talking about um, easily $300 um, in fees as a result of um, being late uh, for one month on your rent. At that point, you're looking at an eviction filing um, that is filed in court and is served to you by the authorities. Everybody has been through a hard time. We got people that lost jobs because of COVID. Come home one day and there's a paper on your door that's telling you you got to go. Over the course of this time period that you looked at the filings uh, that Brooks Crossing was was filing against its tenants, eviction filings, how many ended up actually being evicted? Ventron told us when we went to them for comment that um, only five tenants were actually evicted from Brooks Crossing between March 2020 and August 2021. And of course, you know, an eviction filing is very different from an eviction. Um, the vast majority of filings do not actually result in evictions. But, you know, what we wanted to show in this story is how even just filings can be damaging and how landlords sort of use those filings to collect extra fees. Give us an example of of a tenant at Brooks Crossing who was receiving these eviction notices. The tenant that we profiled most prominently in the story is named Janae Sujic. And um, she had moved into um, Brooks Crossing with her family a couple months into the pandemic and was having trouble with work because um, she was working from home. The internet was not reliable in her apartment, and so her hours had been cut. And so she was finding it difficult to pay rent, and Brooks Crossing filed for eviction against her. Next, the fate of Jenea Sujic and her family amid Brooks Crossing's attempts to evict them. 
Stay with us. You're listening to Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. I'm joined by Washington Post reporter Yegena Torbati. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Jenea Sujic. As she was getting these notices um, and getting all the fees that, that came with them, what did that mean for her living situation? It made it much more precarious, and it also sort of trapped her and other tenants that I spoke with in this situation where, you know, they owe all this money to the building, so that limits their ability to move elsewhere. Once you get an eviction filing, it can show up on your credit report and make it harder for you to get approved to live elsewhere as well. And so it's very easy for when a landlord is doing a credit check um, or a, some sort of background check on a, on a tenant for that to pop up. And at least one family told me that that was what had happened to them. They had not been evicted from Brooks Crossing, but they had eviction filings. And when they tried to move elsewhere, it, it came up and they were rejected. It's a lot of us will be homeless. It's a lot of us will be put outside. If a lot of us will be in a position that they need help, that's not here. That, you know, definitely affected Jenea as well. And Jonathan and I, my colleague, tallied um, her total uh, number of fees over the course of a year because she shared with us um, her payment history. And it added, you know, more than $2,000 to her, um, to the overall rent that she had paid. And that's a lot of money. That's, you know, that's more than, that's almost two months worth of rent basically added over the course of the year due to these fees. So that just really affects people, you know, what people can afford and then, their, of course, their ability to move elsewhere later on. You know, she was facing issues with her work. Um, she has tried to um, find kind of more lucrative work, but been limited, of course, by both the pandemic and then also childcare issues. She did receive help through a local nonprofit that was dispersing federal aid that the federal government had allocated to help people with their rents. But, you know, a couple months later was sort of facing the same situation where she just couldn't afford the rent. And then, of course, the, the once you can't afford the rent and the fees pile up, which makes it even harder to get even again. So um, that was kind of the struggle that she was facing and, and honestly continues to face. The last time I talked to her, um, you know, she was trying to like gather enough money, save enough money so that she could pay what she owed and then leave. Um, but she wasn't even really sure where they would be able to go to next, which just kind of shows the problems of like housing prices going up on a widespread basis. Even if you're able to leave one place, it's not necessary, necessarily true that you'll have a better situation elsewhere. And she's a mom, right? She's a mom. She's got three kids. Her fiance works as well, but they're just not able to make enough money to kind of you know, just be in the black on a consistent basis. And so they are still living at Brooks Crossing. Shortly after the New Year, she was. Yeah, and I think it's important to talk about not just Brooks Crossing, but but sort of the larger context, especially in a place like Clayton County, which traditionally has been uh, a place that's avoided a lot of the forces of gentrification that have driven up the price of housing ar- across Metro Atlanta. What did you find in terms of how that's changed or changing in Clayton County? Clayton County is one of the last pockets of affordability um, for people in the Atlanta area. But even that is changing. Um, you know, we spoke to experts who have, are seeing huge increases in Atlanta housing prices, especially during the pandemic, specifically through 
Brooks Crossing, I saw that they were renting a three-bedroom apartment at Brooks Crossing for around $800 a month as recently as 2016. Whereas, you know, four years later, I saw leases that were signed in 2020 for those same or similar three-bedroom apartments going for $1,200. And that's a 50% increase in around four years. And wages have not increased at the same level in that time period. So you're just seeing this like in a really concrete level, how even these affordable areas are just going up in prices so much each year. The Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta tracked eviction filings for a year and showed eviction filings were greater in communities of color, in this case in southern Fulton, southern DeKalb, and Clayton County. Today, the moratorium is no longer in effect, and and I know that in the weeks leading up to that, there was a lot of concern that there was going to be this sort of avalanche of evictions across the country and that people would be thrown out of their homes. But we haven't really seen that, have we? No, not as much as as one would expect. And, you know, the major caveat here is that there really is no national tracking of eviction statistics. We're not seeing kind of a massive wave of evictions. Um, And that could partly due to unemployment aid during the first um, year, year and a half of the pandemic, um, stimulus payments, and then, of course, the dedicated rental aid, which has been going out, you know, to the tune of, I think, around $30 billion so far, although there's kind of very little of that money left. There was also the child care credit, which uh, expired as of December, so parents won't be getting that. The child tax credit was a key provision in the American Rescue Plan passed in March. Families had been seeing monthly payments of either $250 per child for kids 6 to 17 and $300 for children under the age of 6. Since it started going out in July, we've seen that it's been used for things like food, for childcare, for clothing, for back to school. And so it's credited for helping reduce child poverty in the U.S. by 40 percent. And that was a huge help for families, especially for young families. And that last payment went out in December and it looks like it will not be renewed, at least not immediately. And we're still seeing disruptions due to the pandemic, kids you know, having to stay home from school, which then affects whether their parents can work. A lot of industries are still not back to where they were um, pre-pandemic. Yeah, you know, the, the issue of housing precarity is one that predated the pandemic, and the pandemic seems to only be exacerbating it. Where do you see this going, not just here in metro Atlanta, but, but nationwide? In this country, we just have a lot of housing affordability issues. And that's not just true for Atlanta. It's true for like any city, town in America. Housing prices seem to be going up um, almost uniformly. So it's a really deep um, issue in this country. And I think the pandemic has just made that even more visible. In a normal year, we would see 3.7 million evictions filed annually. But now that we're in this uh, global health and economic crisis, you know, people are making choices between paying for rent, paying for food, insulin. People are really squeezed right now. And this is quickly becoming an unpayable amount of rental debt that households are struggling with. This issue of affordable housing has become so acute here. We just elected a new mayor in Atlanta, and these issues are really front and center, um, and nobody seems to know um, what the fix will be. But I, I think it, it does bear a stressing that when you, you look at specifically Georgia and the mechanisms that are in place that allow a landlord to pursue an eviction, 
it's it's much easier for them to do it than for a bank to come after me for not paying my mortgage. It's going to take them a while longer. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people told us they felt like landlords could kind of use the court system in Georgia to their advantage um, as sort of part of their business model, that they could kind of make these eviction notices very routine. I didn't see evidence that there was like a big debate right now in Georgia statewide on whether they should change these laws or not. And of course, if you get an eviction notice, it induces kind of like this feeling of panic. I could see how that would make a tenant, they will do anything they could to like avoid an eviction. So they would pay all the fees even more quickly. It just destabilizes families and it causes a lot of stress. And it's a really big problem. Last summer, a Congressional House subcommittee launched an investigation into Brooks Crossing's management company and other real estate firms for allegedly violating the eviction moratorium, especially in areas where rents have risen dramatically. The subcommittee's findings have yet to be released. Georgia Today is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Jess Mador is our producer. Our engineers are Jesse Neiswanger and Jake Cook. You can keep up with Georgia Today by subscribing to the show at gpb.org or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.